I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I wanted to find something Irish-related for this week's episode, so we're going to Seattle, Washington. Bet you thought I was going to say we were headed to Ireland. Anyway, in searching for a paranormal St. Patrick's Day idea, I came across information about what is deemed to be the most haunted Irish pub in America. It is at least the most haunted Irish pub in Washington State. It's called Kells Irish Restaurant and Pub, located at 1916 Post Alley in Seattle. It is located in the Pikes Place Market. So I thought this would be a pretty simple and straightforward sort of episode. And as it always seems to go when I think something's going to be simple and straightforward, it is never simple and straightforward. So not only do we have some ghosts in a pub, We also have to talk about a serial killer in the beginning of the 20th century and the history of the building that Kells is located in. It might feel like we're jumping around a bit, but I promise that it is all connected. And a lot of times I say I think we're jumping around and it's just me who feels like I'm jumping around. So hopefully I have managed to bring this into a cohesive episode that makes complete and total sense as I go through each item. I'm going to get started here, and the first thing that we're going to get into is the serial killer, Dr. Linda Hazard. Linda Laura Hazard was born Linda Burfield in Minnesota in 1867. She eventually married Samuel Hazard, a former Army lieutenant who served some jail time for bigamy after he married Linda. Linda Hazard had no medical degree but she was licensed to practice medicine in the state of Washington through a loophole that grandfathered in some practitioners of alternative medicine with degrees. Despite her lack of training and degree, she was licensed as a fasting specialist. She had, according to her book, studied under Edward Hooker Dewey, MD, who was a well-known proponent of fasting. Fasting in the event that you're not sure what I'm talking about, is where you don't eat. Typically you drink water, you take liquids, maybe some broth, but you don't eat any solid food. Her methods were not unique, but they were extremely unorthodox. Dr. Hazard believed that the root of all disease lay in food, specifically too much of it. Appetite is craving, hunger is desire, Craving is never satisfied, but desire is relieved when want is supplied, she wrote in her self-published book. Hazard felt the path to true health was to periodically let the digestive system rest through near-total fasts of days or more. Which, honestly, isn't really too extreme. Letting your digestive tract rest... That's what I do to the dogs when they throw up. 
they don't get food for like 24 hours to allow their stomach to settle down because 90% of the time they've eaten something outside that they shouldn't. The bulldog likes to eat rocks. Anyway, Linda Hazard developed a fasting method that she claimed was a cure for all kinds of illnesses. It would rid the body of toxins that cause imbalances in the body. Dr. Hazard established a sanatorium called Wilderness Heights that was located in Alala, Washington. There, inpatients fasted for days, weeks, or months. Their diet consisted of small amounts of tomato or asparagus juice and occasionally some orange juice. Patients also had their systems flushed with daily enemas and vigorous massages that nurses sometimes said often sounded more like beatings. Despite this, Dr. Hazard still had her fair share of patients. The most memorable of these patients were British sisters Claire and Dorothea Williamson, who were the well-to-do orphans of an English army officer. The sisters saw an ad for Dr. Hazard's book in a newspaper while they were staying at the Empress Hotel in British Columbia. They weren't seriously ill, but they thought they were suffering from a variety of minor ailments. Basically, it sounds like the sisters might have been hypochondriacs. Dorothea complained of swollen glands and rheumatic pains, and Claire had been told she had a dropped uterus. They were big fans of alternative medicine and had given up meat and corsets in an attempt to improve their health. Getting rid of corsets was a definite improvement. Those things did not allow you to take in a deep breath, which is part of the reason why women fainted so much. The countryside setting of Dr. Hazard's Wilderness Heights appealed to the sisters, but when they arrived in Seattle in February 1911, after signing up for treatment, they were told the sanatorium in Olala wasn't quite ready. So Dr. Hazard set the ladies up in an apartment where she began feeding them broth made from canned tomatoes. They were given one cup of the broth twice a day and no more. They also received hours-long enemas in the bathtub that was eventually covered with canvas supports when the sisters started to faint during their treatment. Two months later, Hazard transferred them to the retreat in Olala and the sisters weighed only 70 pounds. Dorothea and Claire's family were not aware of what was going on with them. The family disapproved of the constant crazy health journeys the sisters went on so Claire and Dorothea didn't tell anyone where they were going or what they were doing. But Dorothea did send a message to her childhood nurse, Margaret Conway. The message was so odd that Margaret immediately booked a spot on a ship headed to Seattle. When she arrived, she was met by Dr. Hazard's husband, Samuel Hazard. Samuel told Margaret that Claire was dead. Dr. Linda Hazard later explained that the death occurred because of a course of drugs administered to Claire in childhood that had shrunk her eternal organs and caused cirrhosis of the liver. Claire had just been too far gone for Dr. Hazard's beautiful treatment to save her. Margaret, though not a doctor, took it for what it was. Bullshit. 
Claire's body had been embalmed and was on display at the mortuary, and it looked like it belonged to another person. The hands, facial shape, and color of hair all looked wrong in Margaret's opinion. Once she got to Alala, Margaret discovered that Dorothea weighed only about 50 pounds, her bones protruding so sharply that she couldn't sit down without pain. But Dorothea didn't want to leave the sanatorium, even though she was clearly starving to death. It was discovered that Dr. Linda Hazard was appointed the executor of Claire's large estate, as well as Dorothea's guardian for life. Dorothea had also signed over her power of attorney to Samuel Hazard. In the meantime, the Hazards had helped themselves to Claire's clothes, household goods, and about $6,000 worth of the sisters' jewels. Dr. Hazard even had the audacity to deliver a report concerning Dorothea's mental state to Margaret while wearing Claire's robe. Hazard refused to let Dorothea leave the sanatorium, and it took one of her uncles showing up and paying Hazard $1,000 to allow her to go. The British consul in nearby Tacoma, Washington, became involved, and once they began researching Linda Hazard, they discovered that the Hazards were connected to other deaths of wealthy individuals. Many had signed over large portions of their estates just before their deaths. There is approximately 17 deaths that are attributed to Linda Hazard, though some believe there were more. August 15, 1911, Linda Hazard was arrested on charges of first-degree murder for starving Claire Williamson to death. During the trial, servants and nurses testified how the sisters cried out in pain during their treatments, suffered through enemas that lasted for hours, and endured baths that scalded them. Then there was the testimony about the financial drain of the Williamson account, with forged checks and other fraud that emptied the estate. Hazard refused to take any blame for the deaths. She said in her self-published book, Death in the fast never results from deprivation of food, but is the inevitable consequence of vitality sapped to the last degree by organic imperfection. Basically, if you die while being starved, then you obviously had another condition that was going to kill you eventually anyway. She was sentenced to hard labor at Walla Walla, served two years, and had her medical license revoked. She moved to New Zealand, but eventually returned to Olala and opened a school of health that burned to the ground in 1935. Linda Hazard died in 1938 while undergoing her own fasting regimen. That's karma. And that brings us to the history of the building that houses Kell's Irish Restaurant and Pub. The building is known as the Butterworth Building. It was built in 1903 to house the Butterworth and Sons Mortuary. The mortuary operated there until 1923 when it moved to a larger building. One of the interesting features of the architecture is that on the first street side, the building appears to have three stories, but on the other side, it has five. This is due to the hilly terrain the building was constructed on. It actually has five stories inside. The Butterworth Building was one of the first facilities to operate as a mortuary in the United States. Each story of the building had its own unique function within the mortuary. 
It had a 200 mourner chapel, a crematorium, an area for storing funeral urns, a casket showroom, and an elevator, which was the very first one on the West Coast. They also offered on-site coffin sales and rooms with burial clothing for purchase. It was a one-stop death shop. The elevator was used for transporting bodies up and down to the different floors. The basement is accessible through the post alley entrance at the rear of the building, and that's now home to Kell's Irish Restaurant and Pub. There are some accounts that claim the basement space was the former embalming room and crematorium, but the 1904 account says that the basement housed the building's heating plant, stables, and funeral wagons. Many bodies passed through the Butterworth building because of a diphtheria epidemic, the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918, and the many deaths of the local miners, both from accident and violence. It was the policy of the mortuary to allow family to stay with the deceased between the time the body was placed in the coffin until their burial. There was a private room offered for this at no charge. The floor above where the Kells Irish pub is located was once used for storing dead bodies, but is now used as a private banquet hall for the pub. It's also said that some of Linda Hazard's victims passed through the mortuary. I told you it was connected. In fact, remember me telling you just a minute or so ago that the childhood nurse of Claire Williamson saw Claire's body and thought it didn't look quite like her? That's because Butterworth allegedly used another body instead of Claire's so that people didn't see her skeleton-like appearance. Which explained why she didn't look like Claire. It wasn't her. There were also rumors of empty coffins being buried. There was talk about miners being killed for the value of their bodies. I'm assuming the bodies were sold to medical students for use as medical cadavers. But that's just a rumor. I do believe the body of Claire was switched. The building itself is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So that all went on in the building that is home to Kell's Irish Restaurant and Pub. From this point on, I'll just refer to it simply as Kell's. Kell's was founded in 1983 by the McAleese family. As I mentioned, Kell's is considered one of the most haunted pubs west of the Mississippi, and is certainly one of the most haunted locations in Seattle. It's not hard to believe there would be lost souls still roaming the place, with so many bodies in and out of there, the grieving families, the possible shady empty coffin, selling of bodies and switching of bodies, it would be more surprising if it weren't haunted. There have been numerous reports of strange, unexplainable noises coming from the walls, and many people have felt a sense of uneasiness come over them, especially when in the building later at night. Many different spiritualists have been brought into the building in an attempt to initiate communication with the spirits, who still remain there. Among those spiritualists was a Catholic priest and a voodoo priestess. One of the most frequent ghostly visitors at the pub is the ghost of a young girl. She's commonly described as being dressed in a scarlet velvet dress and has red hair that curls in ringlets that cascade over her shoulders. She's said to be somewhat of a prankster 
and is drawn towards children that come into Kells with their parents. This little ghost enjoys playing pranks on the adults in the pub, but really enjoys playing with the children. She's able to manipulate objects and has been known to make toys move and dance for the children that come in. Her appearance has startled and sometimes terrified some patrons who have fled the pub in fear, though the employees are certain she is playful and friendly and completely harmless. It's believed that she's one of the many children who died during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. When Patrick McAleese, the owner, was asked about how many reported sightings there were of the little girl, he said, The little girl in the red dress? Countless. It's like she must work here. She's considered sweet and playful and a bit shy, and she's always wearing that red dress. A former employee named Josiah had an encounter with the little girl in 2010 or 2011. He said, It was just another busy weekend at Kells. I was at my post upstairs and it was getting time for us to rotate. I hear footsteps on the stairwell that's right by my right side. And I'm like, what the heck? And it's like little feet running up the stairs. I turn the corner and I can only see the feet going up the stairs. Little kids feet. It was definitely a little girl. I could just see the bottom of her dress. It was red, and she had white stockings on and, like, black shoes. So I get on the earpiece, and I'm like, Hey, somebody have kids here? There's a kid up in this back stairwell. Somebody got their kid here? One of the other employees answered that there should be no kids in the building. Josiah continued, So I go up the stairway, about two flights, and at the top, it's a doorway. Just one doorway. Nowhere else this girl could have run. It's pitch black in there, and I kind of, like, froze. And then, like, I, like, walk into a little cold space where it was, holy cow, it was kind of freezing. And the hairs on my neck started standing up, and I'm like, oh my god, like, this is the ghost. And I turned, and I ran down those stairs so fast. That's just stuff I don't play with. Josiah said he was so scared he was pushing people aside and yelling on his way to the front door of the bar that opens onto Post Alley. The other bouncers came over asking who the kid was. He tells them what happened and the owner says, You just saw the ghost of the red-haired girl. Another frequent otherworldly visitor to Kells is the spirit of an older gentleman named Charlie. Like the little red-haired girl, Charlie is known to be very friendly and sociable. He is most often seen wearing a derby hat. Inside Kells, around the corner of the bar, is a mirror, and when people look into the mirror, they see the reflection of a happy-looking, middle-aged man in the mirror wearing a derby hat in the top right corner of the mirror. The man is always smiling. When they turn around, there's no one behind them. This is Charlie. He also seems to enjoy the live music Kells offers. He appears often on nights there is music, and the musicians themselves often see his familiar shadow around the stage. On November 1, 2005, Karen McAleese, the manager of the pub, said she saw something she can't explain walk through the kitchen. She said it was a tall, dark-complected man wearing a suit jacket. He had very thin hands. He walked to the end of the bar and then just faded. 
But not all the ghosts are harmless or friendly ones. The mother of the owner fell down a flight of steps and narrowly avoided serious injury. She claimed that she had actually been pushed and she was alone at the time. There are also ghosts at Kells that never show their faces. There's a small whiskey bar in a back corner of the restaurant, and if you keep a close eye on it, you just might see the candles around the bar light up on their own. Bar glasses have been known to break, silverware levitates, and disembodied voices are heard. One tour guide spotted a pair of muddy, dirty hands pressed up in the windows of the First Avenue entrance to the building when it was closed. Interesting to note that near the building sits a 19th century settler's graveyard and a Duwamish Native American burial site. Other haunting things include mirrors shattering for no reason and the inexplicable voice of a woman echoing through the building. One night, when Patrick McAleese and his dad were cleaning up after the pub had closed, they were on the restaurant side, which joins the bar side by a short hallway. It was late, and they suddenly heard a loud crash. They raced over to find an old mirror lying on the ground, and there was a lit candle there as well. The door to the bar was bolted from the inside, and there was no other way for anyone to have gotten in or out. They searched the bar for 20 minutes and found no one. McAleese also said there have been times when he's walked in the back room and he blesses himself, runs to get what he needs, and turns and runs out again. When the crews were doing renovations, they heard someone pacing the floor and glasses clattering as though someone was moving them around. The manager of Kells, Karen McAleese, says that the lingering scent of formaldehyde is still detected from time to time. According to a shaman who once visited the building, there are 19 fully formed ghosts there. There is no doubt that this is definitely a haunted pub. That's going to do it for this episode. Just a quick reminder, there won't be a new episode next week on the 24th but we will be back the following week on the 31st with a brand new episode, most likely with a UFO topic. Remember, you can find Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and on lurkpodcast.com where you'll find episodes along with social media links. Also, make sure you mark your calendars. Lurk is set for two festivals this summer and fall. August 26th is the Jefferson County Bigfoot and Paranormal Expo in Reynoldsville, Pennsylvania from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Then on September 30th is the Whitehall, New York Sasquatch Festival. We have a third event in June we're just waiting on confirmation on. That one will be in Sykesville, Maryland. So if you're in the area for one of those, stop by our booth and say hi. If you like what you hear, tell a friend Or if you have a few minutes, give us a five-star review. If you're out celebrating St. Patrick's Day, please celebrate responsibly and make sure you have a designated driver. I don't want to lose any lurkers. And until next time, keep lurking.